0: Welcome to the Grass-Fed Podcast with certified nutrition consultant and creator of the wellness hub, grassfedgirl.com, Caitlin Weeks. Listen in while she interviews her natural-minded friends and colleagues about how to enjoy relaxed paleo and low-carb living. Caitlin's husband, professional chef and co author of Mediterranean Paleo Cooking, Nabil Boumar, often stops in to answer questions about gluten free cooking. Get ready to learn about a holistic lifestyle that is rewarding and fun.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Grass Fed Podcast. We're so excited to have you here today. We're gonna interview Angie Alt and Mickey Trescott from the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook. And we're so excited they're here today to talk all about their journey and what they've learned, and they've recorded it all in this beautiful new book. And I'm so excited to share it with you. Comes out in November. So we'll get them to tell us all the details. So I met Mickey a long time ago, and our podcast our paleo adventures all around uh, the West Coast. And she came to the uh, the cafe there. And what's the name
2: of it? Oh, Mission Island.
1: Yeah, she came. And, yeah, we had several dinners there and lots of bonding over our Hashimoto. So I uh, was just so glad when she had her new book out, and I wanted to have her on our podcast. And her blogging buddy is Angie Alt, and she's also a autoimmune sufferer and has learned a lot along the way that she will share with us and they co-blog over at dot does it have a dash or something yeah it has, has a, a, has has a hyphen
2: hype it. in it
1: okay that's right so we'll get them to tell all the details where you can find their work as we go along so welcome guys I'm so glad to have you thanks, thanks for, for having us, us Caitlin. Caitlin
2: yeah we're super, super excited. excited to be here
1: Great. So tell us a little bit about, you, you go first. Um, Nikki, tell us a little bit more about your story and why this is such a an issue close to your heart.
2: Yeah, so about uh, six or seven years ago now, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and Celiac Disease at the age of 26 years old. So my journey started, uh, actually, it had been going on for about a year of trying to figure out what was wrong and going to a bunch of doctors and being told that it was all in my head. And I'm sure, you know, you've, you're gal. you know how, what it's like. And I know that your listeners probably get that whole run around when they're trying to get their diagnosis. Um, But when I got mine, I really didn't feel that much better and it actually sent me into uh, a really bad health crisis over the next three months following my diagnosis. I ended up just being so tired that I could not leave my bed. I lost my job and I started having all of these symptoms of other autoimmune diseases. So things like uh, neurological problems, slurring my speech, not being able to feel, uh, the left side of my body uh, especially my hands and my feet um, that neuropathy and so you know naturally I went back to the doctor and was like hey you know you guys told me to go gluten-free and you didn't give me any thyroid treatment and I feel terrible and I actually feel worse so can you please help me out here And uh, of course, I'm paraphrasing basically the worst three months of my life. But at that point, you know, they said that there really weren't a lot of other options other than waiting to see if I was developing other autoimmune diseases like lupus or multiple sclerosis. And I would need to live with those symptoms for six more months before I could actually get more diagnosis, more testing. So at that point, that's when I started to kind of look into things for myself, and I found the autoimmune protocol, and, you know, it was not this 180 and then upward trajectory. It was a very long, difficult, painful process. Uh, I'd been vegan for 10 years, so changing my <laughs> diet was not easy, um, but eventually, and I mean over the course of a year or two years and even three years, I, I found myself back Um, in the place where I felt healthy again. And a lot of that had to do with not only changing my diet, um, but also addressing things like lifestyle, uh, partnering with the right people, collaborating with them in the healthcare realm. So finding the right doctors so that I could get the treatment that I actually needed for my autoimmune diseases. Um, And, you know, a, a whole lot of things on the way. And so you know, the autoimmune wellness handbook, I'll I'll let Angie kind of tell her story a little bit in a minute, but really we've combined our experiences with illness to kind of share everything that we know, not in a, Hey, everyone do what we did kind of a way, but in a, Hey, here's all the areas that you could look at to kind of figure out what works for you. Because if I've learned anything from my journey, it's that everyone is unique. Everyone is different and they're going to have to kind of see how all these little pieces fit in to to solve that puzzle of their health crisis.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So, I'm sure we can find a lot of things to talk about in that, but we'll let go. Go ahead and tell us Angie your your story.
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, a lot like Vicky, um, I just kind of found myself in this uh, spiral of illness uh, that just seemed to be going deeper and deeper, just when I would think that I really couldn't get sicker or have another new, strange, unexplained symptom, it would, you know, a new one would pop up, Um Unlike Mickey, um, my, my kind of timeline for diagnosis was a lot, lot longer. Um, I first started to have symptoms of um, my three autoimmune diseases, uh, lichen sclerosis, celiac disease, and endometriosis shortly after my daughter was born when I was in my early 20s. Um, but I didn't receive my primary diagnosis of celiac until 11 years later. Um, so it was a very, very long road, lots and lots of doctors telling me that there was nothing wrong. Um, a lot of doctors telling me that, um, being worried about what I thought was wrong was what was making me sick, (laughs) that I should just stop worrying about feeling terrible. Um, so that was a little hard to swallow. Uh, so I just kept, you know, looking for those answers. And then when I finally got diagnosis, you know, it was kind of like, like Mickey said, you know eat a gluten-free diet and uh, we'll we'll catch you later. Um, but it didn't work. You know, I, I actually started to get sicker. Um, my antibody numbers even climbed after going gluten-free. And it was just really clear that I was going to need a much more robust uh, path back to wellness than just a simple gluten-free diet. And I kind of discovered the autoimmune protocol and embarked on it. And I could could tell tell within three days that, uh, something life-changing was happening. Um, and by six weeks, my antibodies had dropped by half, uh, with celiac disease. And by six months, it was like being a new person. And it really inspired me to kind of go on this path and, and teach other people about this possibility for themselves, um, and how much of an impact it could have on a wide variety of autoimmune diseases, um. During that process, I met Mickey, and eventually we partnered up, and we wrote this book to show other people how they can kind of individualize their path with some of the similar steps that we took.
1: Wow, that's that's amazing, and I mean, I was reading your book last night, and it was like, you know, friends were talking to me, so I think that's what people are going to, I mean, even though I know Mickey, but... You know, it's like you're speaking my language, you know, and I think that's what other people are going to get from the book. And especially if they've had a hard time with their doctors or being told they're crazy and all that kind of stuff, they're going to finally feel like somebody's listening to them and understanding what they're going through. So I can I know it's going to have a big impact
0: uh, we, we love, love hearing, hearing that, Caitlin. I mean, mean it's, it's such a, a big part, part of our mission to make this approachable and, and, and let folks know that, you know, they can, can do this. You know, know there's, there's a lot they can do to impact their wellness, wellness even if their doctors, doctors aren't, quite aren't quite yet on board with, with them.
1: So, you know, in, in your studies, you know, have you learned what 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 is starting all the autoimmune diseases? Like, how does it start? Yeah. So I'll take
2: this one. Um, so autoimmune disease, you know, according to our research, which is mostly based on other people that are a lot smarter than us, like Dr. Sarah Valentine and Terry Walls. Uh, but basically they've discovered that, um, Autoimmune disease starts because of three reasons. So there are genetic factors, there are diet and lifestyle factors, and then there's all this stuff that we're kind of exposed to in our environment. So things like viruses and bacteria that um, they've done some studies to find that certain people who've been exposed to things have a higher risk of maybe activating those genes that they have. Um, And so it's not really in the sense that, uh, you know, like cystic fibrosis, someone has a gene for something and then they're for sure going to manifest having that disease. But with autoimmune disease, there's kind of like a collection or or a family of genes that they're not really sure how they interact with each other to produce uh, whatever autoimmune disease, but that person is at a higher risk of developing an autoimmune disease. So it's really common for people who have these collections of genes in their families, Maybe to have, you know, someone with Hashimoto's and then a sister with rheumatoid arthritis and then a mother with multiple sclerosis, um, that's not uncommon. And different diseases have more of a specific disease genetic inheritance, if that makes sense. So uh, Crohn's is one that comes to mind where there's a lot of families that will have Crohn's. Um, Hashimoto's also, where, you know, a mother and a daughter, that would be a really common presentation. Um, But other than that... You know, Sarah Valentine says that all of those things that you kind of can't control, uh, control about 30% of your risk, which is actually pretty low. If you think about it, that other 70% or so is controlled by your diet and lifestyle. And so these are the things that, you know, nutrient deficiencies, you know, if your immune system has what it needs to do what it does, there's less of a chance that it's going to be making a mistake, which is the foundation of what an autoimmune disease is. Um, it's your your immune system mistakenly attacking your own tissue instead of a virus or a pathogen or a bacteria or something like that. Um, So if you have all the nutrients that you need, if you're sleeping optimally, if you're moving enough to kind of get all of your lymphs moving and, you know, you're basically living optimally, um, you have less of a risk of developing an autoimmune disease.
1: Yeah, I mean, it can kind of be a perfect storm of you having, you know, some, some of it in your family, then you're eating like crap, and then you're having environmental problems, and then maybe you get really sick, like I know a lot of college students, they get some viruses, or maybe you get bit by something, or you get some vaccine, it's like this, and then, or you have a very stressful life event, and then it kind of hits, right?
2: Yeah, and it's not, you know, you You could could say, oh, it was a vaccine or oh, it was that virus, that mono that I got. But likely, it's kind of all of these things working together to kind of produce this effect. And what's great is that a lot of these things we can control, right? Like we can sleep, we can eat a really good diet, we can, um, you know, eat more nutrient dense and, and try to focus on that we can manage our stress. Um, you know, the, the viruses and stuff, you know, there's not a lot that we can do, um, to not get sick. I mean, if you're exposed to something, you're exposed to something, but if we support our immune system, um, the chance that we're going to not let that manifest in a negative way is a lot better. So, um, We're all about the things that we can control, you know, not worrying about the genetics. And even if the genetics are there, like autoimmune diseases in your family, that's a really good sign if you don't have it yet to kind of take this stuff seriously and start to live optimally. Because I mean, I believe that maybe if when I was a kid, if I wasn't on antibiotics for seven years in a row for an ear infection, maybe my gut health would have been able to uh, not really cause me to go into that downward spiral that I think kind of caused my autoimmune disease, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, same here. I had ear infections, like, my whole life, and then it switched to UTIs. (laughs) So, um So we, as you, you know, as you get diagnosed, then you can kind of look back, but uh, at all the things you did wrong and, but you know, you can't, can't you can't can't control it. it. I mean, it's,
2: it's It's not not good good to like regret too much about you know what you're doing because even part of when I look back I think like ignorance is bliss I, I lived out a lot of good years in my 20s where I kind of did what I wanted, didn't sleep was you know did a lot of fun activities and you know it was a good time in my life I wasn't really suffering yet so it kind of good memories but I know I'll never be able to go back Uh, quite to that level of how (laughs) How I was living living, you know know?
1: eating pizza and beer at three o'clock in the morning (laughs) right yeah (laughs) (laughs) but that's what saying is so good about your book is because I mean I feel like for you and me I mean you're younger than me but uh this information wasn't around and, and you know I feel like that's part of what we all believe in to spread this information you know, if I, I didn't have the right information to even know any of this was going on in my body. And, you know, it was before the internet and blogs and all this stuff was, you know, when I was doing most of the damage <laughs> was before, you know. So I'm so glad that young girls now can have this information and I hope that it gets into the right hands. So when, one of the things that is 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 bothering me is like why are they so common now? Why why are they so much more common? Why are they everywhere?
0: I mean, I mean this is the idea. I, I, think I think that, that- you know, it's kind of that perfect storm thing and and all of those factors coming into play that Mickey was just talking about. You know, we have a lot higher exposure to, you know, chemicals and other things in our environment that we maybe didn't have before. It's part of those environmental exposures along with viruses and bacteria, which were probably always there, but now we have extra drags on our system in addition to that. And it's also... The diets that we eat, right? We need to have this really nutrient-dense diet to feed our immune system and our body as a whole, but we eat a really nutrient-poor diet. And, you know, as a result, our bodies just aren't set up to react the way they need to. I think when you have generations of that um, and those exposures, it's kind of creating that, that perfect scenario for more and more people to develop autoimmune disease.
2: Yeah, it's kind of a recent phenomenon, right? Like all the genetically modified stuff, all the stuff that's sprayed with pesticides. I mean, all of the toxins and the chemicals, and then all of the food companies that are making non food food, it just like it's coming to like a climax.
1: Yeah, and I mean I I'm sure we haven't even seen the worst of it at all. So it's good that we can be ready. Yeah, that's the sad part. <laughs> but um you mentioned would be that you were vegan for a long time Mickey and that's really big on the west coast I mean I have lived in San Francisco you're in Seattle and I mean you I've been all the way up and down the west coast and everywhere is vegan 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 and it's like I feel it's really scary for young girls and girls that are you know going into puberty and menstruating and why is that such a trend and why do people think it's so healthy and why do some people experience such a a a feeling of euphoria at first what's that all about yeah well
2: that's a great question because uh you know when I went vegan I I had actually suffered from a lifelong dairy allergy that was undiagnosed so i was always coughing, I was always had a ton of phlegm, and I actually intuitively knew that dairy didn't work for me, but I didn't know that I was allergic to it, so I wouldn't drink milk, I wouldn't eat yogurt, I wouldn't eat cheese, I wouldn't put butter on anything, but I would eat. And it, like, whatever, I was an omnivore, I would eat anything. So I thought that I didn't like cheese and I didn't like milk. But what would really happen is that, you know, that I started to make this connection like, oh, I remember, um, I would go to the hospital after I ate ice cream or something because that cold and the dairy would just like give me this crazy asthma attack. And so when I was in college and I, I had met a roommate and she was vegan and I was like, oh, I'm going to try this for a couple weeks. And it was like the first two weeks of my life that I actually could breathe. And I thought that, oh my god, being vegan is amazing, it just like totally changes your life. So I stayed vegan because I I didn't know what the change was. And eventually when I got exposed to dairy through some other way, um, you know, as a restaurant, I asked for something vegan, and it came with butter, and I didn't know And I ate it, then I would have this horrible anaphylactic reaction, where my throat would swell up. And at that point, I wasn't carrying my inhalers anymore. So it was actually very scary and dangerous. And I realized, oh, I'm actually allergic to dairy, A. Um, and that's why I, I felt great on vegan. But then, you know, this other thing that happened was I learned how to cook you know and when you're vegan you can't eat all the other things and this is now at this point about 15 years ago so being vegan wasn't as popular as it is now and it was harder to find vegan foods so I that was the first time in my life I actually started cooking for myself and so if you think about you know eating fresh vegetables and home-cooked food versus like college cafeteria food uh no wonder I felt better you know
1: yeah It's like they start taking an interest in their health maybe for the first time.
2: Yeah, and, and like, I had never been able to run as a kid. I couldn't do PE. I couldn't do any sports that would get my heart rate up. So I bought a pair of running shoes. I started running. I started cooking for myself. I stopped eating dairy, which I was clearly very allergic to. So in the beginning, I thought veganism was, like, the coolest thing. It was like, oh, my gosh, everyone needs to be vegan. They'll feel so great. Um, But I now realize that there are reasons why I felt good in that period of my life and eventually I started feeling worse so a couple years in I started uh, noticing that you know my nails weren't growing in very strong and that I was very tired and um, you know the anemia the nutrient deficiency that kind of stuff started creeping up but at that point I was so like indoctrinated in the vegan way that I didn't really want to believe that that was because of what I was eating
1: oh yeah I mean, I, I've heard Denise Meyer talk about this, and she says, you know, it's a lot of it is you taking out the, a lot of the refined foods and, you know, maybe less sugar and, you know, eating more vegetables, and that that has a profound effect. But then it kind of wears off as your body starts to run out of its nutrients and stuff. Yeah, Denise's work
0: also really shines a light on why, you know, veganism and vegetarianism is such a strong trend, you know, it's also based on really faulty science, um, it, you know, kind of telling everybody, if you eat meat, you know, this will happen to you, and you know, you'll get cancer, and you, you, you'll rocks, have heart attack, and whatever in else, in
2: your um, well, I lost my period for a year, you know, just like didn't come and I went and I told my doctor and my doctor was like, Oh, you know, it's it's probably, you know, because you've made this change and I wouldn't worry about it being vegan and you know, you're exercising now a lot and a lot of athletes that have a low body weight, that's totally normal for them and um you know, and it wasn't normal. My cholesterol was one eighteen, my total cholesterol. And I remember being like, uh, isn't that a little low doc? And they're like, Oh no, you're never gonna have heart disease. That's great. Oh, Yeah, so there just wasn't, you know, there isn't a lot of awareness about the other side of that spectrum where, yeah, if you take someone on a standard American diet and you put them on a vegan diet, they're probably going to feel great for a little while because they're getting all the crappy foods out of their diet. They're probably cooking more stuff. Um, But long term, it's definitely not a good sustainable approach.
1: That's Mickey talking, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about exercise in a minute, but, um, so, Mickey, your first book was, like, you self-published it, it was, like, a huge bestseller and all this stuff, and, you know, got this cult following, (laughs) so what is the difference between this one and that one?
2: Yeah, so the, my first book, The Autoimmune Paleo Cookbook, is basically just a cookbook for the autoimmune protocol. So the autoimmune protocol is kind of a variation of paleo where we eliminate uh, eggs, nuts, uh, seeds, and nightshades from a paleo diet. So there's also still no grains, no di- uh, dairy, no beans, no legumes, that kind of thing um and it's more of an elimination diet so where people usually just go paleo for health people do the autoimmune protocol which is a two phase uh kind of deal where they do it for a period of time and that's the elimination diet so they're taking all these foods out of their diet and then they reintroduce them one at a time to kind of see how they feel that's a really simplified version of what it is but uh my first book was 100% focused on the autoimmune protocol Uh, all the recipes are compliant for the elimination phase. And at the time, there were no cookbooks, there were very few recipes, very few blogs. Actually, that's how I met Angie, was she was one of five or six other bloggers that were writing about the autoimmune protocol when I was actually doing it myself. Um, and, And so the autoimmune wellness handbook, so this new book is more of a comprehensive guide. So It goes from how to get a diagnosis, how to talk to your doctor, what kind of doctor you need, through the autoimmune protocol, all of those little bits and pieces, how to do it. But then it also covers all of the lifestyle stuff. So the sleep, the stress management, the movement, connection, all of those things that looking back, you know, it wasn't just about food, how I healed myself, how I got better. There were so many other components. And so Angie and I, you know, shared this vision we really wanted to write a book that was more all-encompassing and not just about food
1: well yeah because that's that's a big part i think a lot of people i mean i've noticed you know i read like the loving diet and stuff and it seems like a lot of the people get autoimmune they get they get autoimmune paleo no they get autoimmune disease uh they are like type a people who push themselves to the brink and are like super go-getters kind of and They put themselves last as far as self care, and I'm sure you've noticed that in your coaching, both you guys. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think people tend to. uh, I don't know. Actually, Angie, you're probably a better have more articulated views on this. But you know, we really wanted to put forth this idea that self care wasn't selfish.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I I lead an online group program, and so I get to see a a lot, a volume of people, you know, trying to adopt this process, as well as individual coaching for the last three years, and I I think that's really true. I think it's in part true, because 75% of the people getting autoimmune diseases are women, and a lot of those women, not all of them, but a lot of those women are mothers, and I think sometimes going along with mothering is sort of this drive to care for your family um, at the extent of yourself um, but even outside of mothering you know women in general can be caretakers even if they're not mothers you know and so that, that kind of goes along with this idea like I have to take care of everybody else and there is no time to care for myself and the drive can be yeah a little on that type a side maybe you know uh, a little excessive for sure kids there yeah. And and I think um yeah that probably is a little bit of the equation, you know? It's that's emotionally and mentally, not to mention physically draining.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like that that people also um, It used to be like my grandmother, for example. Like she didn't work and I mean, she started working later in life, but after her kids were more grown up and but now you have to be you have to work full time. You have to be beautiful and sexy and hot in your Athleta or whatever, your Lululemons. And you have to have these, like, genius kids. And, uh, and you have to have a lot of money. And all stuff. it's just like the pressure is unbelievable to be perfect. And I think that it drives some people just nuts, you know. <laughs>
0: Right, and again, you know, like that that drag on the system, you know, it's depleting even though it, uh we don't kind of recognize that that pressure and stress on that level is literally depleting some of our our nutrients and resources that our body needs. It is. And you know, after a couple years of that, you know, and for a lot of people, a couple decades of that, the system is definitely going to kind of give out under that weight, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, my grandma I mean, for example, she was a beautiful person, but, you know, she just wore, like, sweatpants. She was like, screw it, you know, like, I'm me, and take it or leave it, you know, and she had, like, the grandma hair and everything. Like, now people are trying to be young forever and all that kind of stuff, so it's just unbelievable, but... Right. right, or, or they, they could, could be like my, my grandma. grandma, you know,
0: my grandma was like one of those ladies who had to be, you know, really immaculately dressed for each outing outside of the house, but she also only, uh, you know, focused on caring for herself and her family, you know, she didn't have all those other additional demands on top of it, just like weighing a, a woman down, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was enough for her to be at home at four o'clock and make coffee for my grandpa, and you know, that was her role, you know, that was good, that was good enough, I mean, think. think Sometimes it's just too much. So um, so the autoimmune paleo is really, really, I mean, I don't want to use the word strict, but it is hard, especially if you're coming straight. For, I know you guys have a great program for helping people go from a standard American diet to the autoimmune protocol. And I did it once for eight weeks, and it was, it was challenging for me, and I had been paleo for years at that point and you know how do you help people kind of get over that bridge and why is regular paleo not quite enough for some people
2: i'm so oh go go ahead ahead. (laughs) maybe you can take take the why is paleo paleo, not enough and and i I can can talk talk about getting them over the the bridge bridge. yeah great (laughs) So, you know, paleo is not enough because there are still food triggers within paleo. So we base what we do on Sarah Valentine's brilliant research in the paleo approach. Um, Sarah is a medical biophysicist. She's like all, all of this research that she has done in how food interacts with our bodies and with our immune systems and basically made a list of foods that are good for people with autoimmune disease, foods that are potentially problematic for people with autoimmune disease, and then foods that are definitely no-no's. And so there's this big spectrum. And for some people, you know, the stuff in the middle, it's like, how do you know if that's going to be what you need to eat or not? And the only way to find out is to eliminate everything and then start from scratch, which yes, it is difficult. It is isolating. It is pretty stressful, but once you go through that process, you have so much information that then you can use that to guide your healing journey, and it is completely profound. It is incredible. Um, So, you know, paleo includes foods that actually typically for some autoimmune diseases cause a big problem. So, foods like nightshade family vegetables, uh, people might not be familiar with this term, but they're foods that are in a botanical family that include tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, even some um, herbs like ashwagandha, um, berries like uh, ground cherries, and uh, which is the one that I'm thinking of, um, goji berries. That's, that's a really very popular very right now it is a nightshade and especially for people with autoimmune diseases that have like a joint inflammation component so like rheumatoid arthritis even people with Hashimoto's like myself um, find that they get really bad joint pain when they have these nightshades and nightshades are included in paleo you know there's there's a ton of recipes with tomatoes, and paprika, and peppers, and that kind of thing. Um, So another problematic food for some people are eggs, you know, which are a staple in paleo. You know, you use eggs to make a scramble or a frittata in the morning. People use eggs to make paleo baked goods, you know, and so Some of the other things that are paleo but not AIP, like nuts and seeds, tend to be fine for a lot of people, but some people have, like, a sensitivity in there, and you're really not going to find out if you're sensitive to sesame seeds or um, whatever random spice it is, like Angie is sensitive to cumin. Uh, She never would have figured that out had she not eliminated it and then reintroduced it, Um, so I guess that's kind of the long way of arriving at why paleo isn't really enough for people um because you know on the autoimmune journey you're not really just trying to be optimal you're trying to kind of get yourself out of this terrible illness you know and so you need a little bit more of a stricter approach for a while um so then i'll let angie talk a little bit about how to get over that because that's a whole nother ball game
0: yeah, I mean, Caitlin, you brought up a really good point that, um, you know, it is hard. There's there's no no bones about it. You know, Mickey and I are pretty honest about that, I think, with our audience. It is hard, and it can be a little isolating and stressful, and that in itself can be kind of harmful. The way that, uh, you know, I approach this in my group programs and that we try to uh, approach, uh, you know, through our website and our, our book and everything um, is First of all, to get some community and get some support. You know, um, that's part of what we do at Autoimmune Paleo, build community. It's really important to have a bunch of people around you who, even if they are not um, following the protocol, they are supportive of what you're doing to try to rebuild your health um, and are there to kind of cheer you on. But also to have some folks who are, are following that same path, too, because you can kind of commiserate with each other and you can celebrate when you have health wins and you can share food and recipes together Um, Another really important thing that we teach is the planning and preparation. It's very hard to uh, be sustainable in this diet um, without having good planning and preparation at home. You know, menu planning, uh, getting your grocery shopping done once or twice a week, you know, cooking some dishes ahead of time, you know, batch cooking so that you have food available. Because, you know, on paleo, you can still sort of uh, run out and grab some food, maybe at the Whole Foods, you know, warm bar or whatever, you know, there's, there's still easy options um, when you're out and about, but when you're kind of following the autoimmune protocol and really working on these big healing goals, you really can't rely on that. So having that stuff ready to go really makes it a lot more feasible Um, and then I think the other thing is to just not kind of live in a space of food fear. We talk about this a lot in my groups, um, you know, kind of tackling each food-based social situation as, um, an opportunity to go spend time with people and do that when you're feeling well, um, you know, not having your health is kind of like, it's a, it lets you know how valuable it really is. That's a cliche to a lot of people. But if you are are really sick with autoimmune disease, you know that just feeling well enough to go and spend time with people, whether or not you're going to eat the same food as them is a huge gift.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Try to make it not about the food uh, and just go have a tea or something. Right. Right.
0: Exactly. So those are kind of, I think some of the big areas where, you know, if you can, if you can work on optimizing those areas, the bridge to being able to do this sustainably for healing is a lot more realistic and a lot less stressful.
1: Yeah. And if you find a friend, I mean, my friend Hannah Healy from Healy eats real, we did it together and we used to meet in the park and have picnics and stuff. So it was fun. I mean, you know, as fun as it can be and, you know, having those online communities and, you know, I'm sure people become friends in your courses and stuff. So, that's really important. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's a huge support for them. Uh, the first time I ran a program was two and a half years ago, and that group of people, those 20 people, are still together online supporting each other. <laughs> wow.
1: So how long do you think people need to do it for?
0: I mean, everybody kind of needs a minimum of 30 days to see you know, what healing they can achieve and where they're at. But I think the reality is, and Mickey, you can come excuse me, comment on this too. But I think the reality is that most people probably need something like three months, three to six months. Yeah. It really depends kind of what someone's health is coming
2: into it. Cause you know, if you're kind of doing paleo and you feel 80% of the way there and you kind of want to get closer to hundred, you know, 30 days might be great for you. Um, But someone like Angie and I, when we found this, you know, I was on the strict elimination diet for about nine months uh, for before. about a year <laughs> yeah before we were really reintroducing foods and to some people they hear that and they go what a year that's ridiculous but if you realize what we were trying to achieve like I couldn't even work a job you know it like the stakes were high like there was a lot of healing to be done we were so, both
0: regularly in the emergency room <laughs> I mean we, it was like we needed to
2: do some serious healing <laughs> yeah. so there's definitely a spectrum
0: of you know where you
2: come in and there's no way that you can tell before you start how long it's going to take you so that was really hard for me in the beginning I got my brain around 30 days because that's what the recommendation was at the time and at 30 days I made a decision to make do another 30 days and then at 60 days I made a decision to do another 30 days (laughs) and and you know, I had started seeing some positive changes and that was motivating for me to keep doing it. And so I would encourage anyone who's worried about the time thing. I mean, it's kind of like life. You can't really control it. You don't really know what's going to happen. And so you have to see it more as a process than something you put on your calendar to like get over before the holidays so that you can eat cake with your family or whatever. Um, You know, it it takes like that mindset shift. That makes sense.
1: And it's really about, uh, I mean, putting, like, maybe all the time that you didn't work on the self-love, it's like this is the time now to really put in the effort and uh, to feel better. And, and I think it's also like kind of like a fertility person. It's like y- y- these people, like you guys, were really motivated to feel better. And so it's like that's the time when this is going to really fit for people.
0: Right. I mean, you have a really good point too, Caitlin. I mean, it's, it's a big part of what I share with my clients and my group members. You know, this is an opportunity to really focus on, on caring for your body, learning to listen to your body. Like for instance, whether or not it's communicating that it's healing or not, and whether it's ready to go on to reintroductions or not, you know, and just really kind of slow way down and be grateful that you have that body in the first place.
1: And absolutely. I mean, there's such a spiritual side, and I know you go over that a lot in your book. And um, what I was going to say is the... Well, it'll come back to me in a minute. <laughs> but one of the things that... See, I have still have brain fog, so I probably need to go back on AIP. But uh, the the thing about the the exercises, one of the, the chapters I was reading last night in your book, is about the... Um, a lot of you, you said you overdid it, Mickey. And I, I mean, I was a personal trainer for seven years, so I got into a really negative cycle of over exercising. And I was also in the vegetarian. And, you know, those combined, I think, really was what put the, the nail in the coffin of my thyroid health. So, talk a little bit about that. How can you use exercise in a positive way and not just? as punishment the way that that we're we see on on instagram stuff and like you know that you're never good enough unless you're beautiful or whatever
2: yeah caitlin like you you brought up a lot
1: a lot of good points in the way you
2: phrased that question uh so maybe i'll address that just by telling a little bit of my personal story so before i got sick i was a I looked to intense exercise to manage my stress that I didn't know how to manage otherwise. So I would, uh, at that time I didn't have a car, so I would bike to work and then I would go on, you know, 30 mile bike ride with my friends after work for fun. I would always be training for a half marathon because I had a goal of running a marathon, but I never even got to realize my goal of even doing half marathon because I was, o- I would always get injured or sick or something would happen and it wouldn't be able to happen. So when i actually got sick i was going through a phase where i was biking to work i was biking for fun i had a running schedule and i had a gym membership where i was doing yoga classes spinning classes and lifting weights and so i was definitely overdoing it and i think it was because i was having all of these health problems that i thought that there was maybe i could out exercise them right and all the stress over what was going on in my life i thought you know that was an outlet so Definitely. There is a thing with exercise and it contributing to an autoimmune flare. And, you know, when that flare hit, I couldn't get off the couch for a good six weeks. It was awful. And from that moment on, I was able to see how negative that exercise habit was especially when I wasn't able to do it so when I was sick and I would have some sort of like anxious thought or stressful moment or something in my life where I would just like want to go on a run or something and I couldn't I had to learn how to deal with that and that was really uh telling for me and so now kind of on the other side I've learned kind of the signs of that negative cycle and how to use exercise as a way that is uplifting and helpful to my body and not one that is negative and bringing me down. So I don't go to the gym anymore. You know, I can't do something like CrossFit. I know some people can, but I know that that adding the intensity and in the competition for me is just not something that is ever going to be really restorative and really helpful for me. So I don't go there. Um, I choose to walk and I'm tempted to run and I have run a couple times, but I kind of rein it back in and I say, you know what, walking is something I can keep up consistently. It's not something that makes me feel sore. It's I guess with exercise before I used to go in waves of like intense and then crash and then intense and then crash. And so now I really try to do something that I can always maintain. And that's walking, you know, walking, stretching, yoga, bouncing on a trampoline, um, all that kind of stuff, riding horses. I started riding horses again, which for years I wasn't strong enough to ride. And I'm finally a place where I'm strong enough to again, but it's not that kind of activity that is very depleting. And I think that's what's really hard for us with autoimmune disease is that, you know, we only have so much energy because our bodies are dealing with this incredible stressor. And if we're going to go waste it on some crazy exercise, we're going to have nothing left.
1: Oh my gosh, I know. I mean, it is, it's really a whole different ballgame with people who have autoimmune disease. I mean, I, and, and you really can't talk to the people who don't have it about exercise, because yeah, they don't it. get it, no, <laughs> they don't get it, and, you know, I mean, I've noticed, I used to, could put on muscle, and I could see changes in my body, and I kind of think, no, that doesn't happen anymore, um, the, the, all, I'm exactly like you, I just kind of look at, like, okay, well, I can just, I can do something, and I'll feel good, and but it's not about like pushing myself to the limit or any of that. I mean, I'll do something just because I don't want to like turn into a ball of mush. Like I do weight body weight exercises and things like that, and but I don't, I don't like try to go you know do hypertrophy or you know g- gain muscle like and do more reps or you know something like that. It's just like you just try to feel good and active, and it's not the same, so. Yeah, I definitely think, like, for a trainer, to. Oh,
2: yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: For a trainer, for exercise addicts, like,
2: you have to be grateful for the level of health that you have, and that's kind of the place that I come at now is I'm, like, I'm strong and I'm healthy and I feel great, so I am going to resist the temptation to do more and just do what I know I need to do to help myself stay good. So, you know, like, bodyweight exercises, stretching and walking are, like, the core of right, that exactly. you know and and often if there's something really intense i want to do that instead of doing those core things but those are the things that i know make me feel good
1: you know yeah i mean i can do a little bit of like i'll run for like a block and then like i'll walk until i feel like i could run again but then like the next day i might just have to do nothing you know because i kind of pushed it the day before you know um yeah re- recovery, recovery is really important and um it is you got to find your groove with that and for the first time and I'm sure you guys can relate I didn't even um I didn't even work out for like the first six months or something I mean I would just make walk around my my neighborhood like slowly to like actually go get groceries or something because I had pushed it so far that I had to rein it back in you know
0: Yeah, that's, you know, one of the things that we talk about in the book, Um, you know, we we have a whole lifestyle guide to help people kind of slowly implement, uh, you know, some of the lifestyle aspects back into their life, like movement. And we start with only like five minutes of walking a week, which can seem like inconceivable to folks who are really healthy, but somebody who has gotten very, very sick and is really at the bottom of recovery, that's the place to start, you know, and we just build up really slowly over time to, to more movement in that plan, but it's the way to kind of slowly get there, like you're saying, Caitlin, at the beginning of your journey, like, going beyond that was just not possible.
1: Yeah, and that's. I think people really have to change their ideas about exercise and that's what I'm so glad you wrote about because a lot of books don't really go into it because they're just so focused on food, but you really have kind of a whole body approach, so that's really different and good, Um, but I want to, I don't want to keep you guys forever, so we'll try to get through, but some of the, one of the things that I always worry about is like, and you've dealt with so many people and, and I work at home by myself, so I don't talk to anyone, so you can tell me, (laughs) Um, what is this idea of, okay, well, I have this this condition, this disease, whatever word you want to use, you know, so then I don't want to do anything, or I can't do anything, and where's the fine line between, like, using it as an excuse, and where it's a valid excuse, or just turning into, like, a depressed, just, you know, lump on the couch, you know, where is the line of, like, of that? And
0: do, you want,
2: do you want to go with yeah yeah you know I think that uh I think it's easy to kind of find that balance and I think that's really the foundation of what our book is about is to try to navigate that balance. So balance with food. It's kind of like how do you not be super crazy strict and how do you just like not eat whatever you want you know and it's the same way with like energy levels and and autoimmune disease and exercise. Uh, You do kind of have an excuse to not do something but at the same time if you don't do something you're not going to feel your best you know. So um finding that kind of fine line is realizing that sitting around and being immobile is not gonna support your best health. And I struggled a lot with this when I was very, very sick because, you know, walking around the block was very difficult for me. I remember the day that I was able to go outside and, and take a little walk and you know, I remember that I would measure my walks in blocks because that's how little I was able to walk without severe pain or feeling very winded and stuff. So, um, you know, just realizing that movement is just really essential, you know, sitting is just not gonna, it's not gonna cut it. So when I was, not able to do a lot of movement, because that is an excuse for a lot of people. Maybe they have a lot of pain, maybe they can't stand, you know, there's, there are legitimate reasons why someone wouldn't be able to, like, get off the couch, and when I found myself in that situation, I just made modifications and I did something, so... I had a friend who's a Chinese doctor who was helping me um, with some qigong and and some things, and I would tell him, you know, I can't do yoga because when I bend over and then stand up, my blood pressure drops and I I pass out. And he was like, okay, well, you can do some seated poses and if you can't move then sit and meditate or you can do some standing poses and if the movements don't work for you and you can stand just stand and meditate and I was kind of like oh okay you just took my excuse away dude you know um but whatever that excuse is, like you can always modify things. It doesn't feel uh, like you're exercising if you're stretching in bed or you know you're just using your upper body and doing some stuff with your arms and, and that kind of thing, but you can totally do that. You can always adapt everything that we talk about to wherever you're at, you know.
0: I mean, it, I think just the idea of balance in general is something that kind of flows through the whole book. It's you know, we talked about it in the balance or excuse me in the movement chapter but we talk about balance all through the book um you know like mickey said where how you deal with the food how you deal with movement it, it comes into all areas because it's like it's homeostasis right you know it's your your body is always working on self-regulating and finding a way to do that and all your activities is important too you know it's, it's finding a way to acknowledge that you have an autoimmune disease and like you know, honoring the battle that your body's kind of fighting, but not allowing it to kind of become your identity.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I, I mean, of course exercise is a big part, but, I mean, I find it's hard to, like, people ask me, you know, to write another book, and, you know, it's how to decide about the projects or the things that I'm going to take on uh, with work or travel or whatever, and and not letting the the, the, the disease be like, well, I can't do anything because I have, you know, or saying, well, I'm fine, so I can do whatever I want. You know, it's kind of finding that balance. You have any thoughts?
2: Right. Yeah, mean, it's just kind of like, like making peace with all of the, yeah, the parts the of people. the equation, you, you know, know, making par- peace with the fact that you have a disease. I mean, that was hard for me when I realized that there was something health-wise that would weigh me down. I'm I'm kind of a, a very positive, energetic person, and just realizing that there was always going to be uh, that part of me that was not going to measure up to normal was really hard. Um, but I think that when you have an understanding of kind of how that affects you and And, you know, it goes back to even the very first chapter of our book called Inform, learning about your disease, learning how that affects you, learning what you need to do in order to effectively manage that. When you're empowered but with that knowledge, you can kind of tell when you're giving yourself kind of a crappy excuse or when you need to pay attention and slow down and actually stay on the couch and rest, you know?
1: Yeah, I guess the autoimmune paleo diet just kind of gives you a, it gives you more intuition about your body, and then you can know. Like, for example, when I went on a when I went on a book tour, I could see all of my symptoms popping up like crazy, you know. But when I stay at home and I take care of myself, I'm okay, you know. So it's like that kind of like gives you a big indicator of a red flag of what you can handle and what you can't. Handle. Right. The whole the whole process from the diet through all
0: the lifestyle factors it kind of um, teaches you to pay more attention to your body and then learn to like adjust your life for that ebb and flow. Yeah.
1: Um, And there's one more thing like I always hear about, it's kind of this, this it's kind of a competition between the people who don't have to take their thyroid medicine anymore. And then the people who do still have to take it. I mean, have you seen that? They're like, I'm completely in remission. I've healed. And then, It's like you're a loser if you still have to take that word, medicine.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a – really the foundation of that discussion is, you know, are you going to use all the tools in the toolbox to feel better or are you not? You know, I take – levothyroxine and I tried to go off it and it was a total disaster. So, you know, some people go, oh, that means that, you know, you can't fully heal with your diet and it doesn't work and whatever. And it's not true. Your thyroid is an organ that produces a hormone that every single cell in your body needs. And when it's been under destruction for my estimate is 15 years in my body, uh, it doesn't do its job as effectively as it did before. And so even though I'm eating this diet and I live this lifestyle that give my body the best chance to not attack itself, you know, my antibodies are very low. They're almost uh, to the point where it would be considered remission, if you want to use that word. Um, But I still need that thyroid hormone. It's like a supplement for something that my body doesn't make enough of. And it's just because it was attacked for 15 years. And so maybe those people that don't use medication don't need it anymore. I know there are people out there, I've worked with many clients who've had that result. That's amazing. And it's really great to not have to take a pill every day. But maybe they've only had the disease for a few years. You know, maybe their body was able to, Kind of restore its former function and and that works for them. But I think there are a lot of people like myself who you know, have had the disease for a while and need to take that thyroid medication and I'm open to the possibility that maybe someday I won't need it, but I'm not attached to that as a benchmark of if I've done a good enough job or not. Because really, my goal is to live healthy and live my best life and and feel good, and that is one of the tools that I have available to me to do that. So why would I take advantage
0: yeah, it's a blend. There's no reason to, like, throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, it's taking the best of the conventional system if you need uh, some of the services or, you know, remedies of that conventional system to feel better, and and then taking the best of what you can do for yourself, the natural approaches, and, and feel better. That's what everybody with autoimmune disease wants.
1: I think that's really good because I don't think that, Every, everyone's so individual you can't say well this person did it right and this person did it wrong and all that because we want to make everything competition because it's America so, um, so America. yeah. <laughs> what is your now Angie you have more of a we're going to wrap up but what is your you have a special set of circumstances with your endometriosis I know a lot of people now have PCOS and all this what kind of special things do you bring to the book with your you know, set of circumstances. Well, you know, like what, what Mickey you just talked
0: about, you know, uh, choosing to combine both thyroid medication and this approach to healing to feel her best, you know, um, with endometriosis, it's an aggressive disease. In some cases, it destroys other organs in the body. And a surgical approach is sometimes necessary. And so for me, living the best way possible with endometriosis is to combine all the natural stuff, which has helped me a lot dealing with the pain of the disease, and also use some surgical approaches to help, you know, prevent further damage of some of my organs or repair organs that were already damaged. You know, that's, again, it's like what Mickey was saying, why would I choose one or the other? They're both tools to help me feel better.
1: Absolutely. I mean... Everyone has to incorporate both sides. And and like Mickey was talking about in the beginning, you're, you have to assemble your proper healthcare team to... Right, yeah.
0: You know, and it's, a, it's like blending there too, right? In my case with endometriosis, I've used a naturopath who helps me with some of the kind of hormonal stuff that goes along with endometriosis. And then obviously, you know, I, in the conventional system, I have a surgeon, you know. Um, all of those... All of those uh, people on my team are helping me feel better and deal with like a really tough, painful disease, and that's it's worthwhile.
1: (laughs) Was there anything else you guys want to tell about that will help people that and help them get your book and get started?
2: We didn't really cover Angie's first book. Angie has a really great offering as far as AIP cookbooks that I think she could tell everyone about, too, because it's an awesome resource for reintro and elimination recipes.
0: Yeah, so my first book is called The Alternative Autoimmune Cookbook. It's also self-published like Mickey's. Folks can find it on Amazon or, you know, links on our website. Um, And it's a a book that kind of covers both phases. Like Mickey talked about both phases of the approach. So there's the elimination diet and the reintroduction process. So um, I teach folks about how to do that. And then, um, you know, I have recipes that cover um, not only the elimination diet, but also some reintroduction recipes. And, uh, you know, my book is also a little bit beyond that. Uh, Maybe your listeners can tell I'm pretty into exploring kind of the emotional side of the wellness journey so my book kind of touches on a lot of that in between the recipes
1: oh wow that sounds great and so tell everyone when your book's going to be out and where they can get it and where they can find more about you guys
2: yeah so our book is called the autoimmune wellness handbook and it's on pre-order now if you're listening after november 1st uh, you can get it um, whenever you want, um, but it's available on Amazon.com and also any bookstore that you can call up or look online. Barnes and Noble has it, Powell's, all those places. Um, And we also have a complimentary podcast called the autoimmune wellness podcast that goes through every chapter of our book with some additional information. So Angie and I uh, staying true to the idea of the handbook, we didn't really want the book to be giant and overwhelming. So we didn't include a lot of our personal stories. Um, So we created the podcast as a way to just kind of talk to each other about what our personal experiences with each steps that we outlined in the book were um, and then we also interview a few different experts um, on the different topics to kind of take a little deep dive. Um, so hopefully you guys find that an awesome resource, and uh, we're super excited to put it out there.
1: Well, I'm just so excited that people, more people will get this kind of information, and maybe we can help other you know, people not end up like us. <laughs> And, um, right.
0: <laughs> not
1: that that's a bad thing, but you know, if you do, if you can avoid the pain and suffering, then that would be good. So, uh, I'm so glad you guys can join me. And the book is going to be out in November. What day?
2: November first.
1: Oh great! So coming up soon, you can get it all for Thanksgiving presents and Christmas presents, and put it under your tree. So. Thanks so much for being on, ladies, and it's been really fun talking to you guys. So uh, make sure and subscribe at grassfedlist.com so you never miss a podcast or nutrition article or recipe. Thanks so much for listening. Leave us a review on iTunes. Bye-bye.